are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. You know, Joe, I've got an idea for your paddock show at Churchill this fall with you and Scott. Um, yeah, uh, really? What, what's that? Well, you could start picking winners for starters. <gasps> Brandon Jaggers. My Twin Spires account looks like the Sahara Desert. And me, CC Broadus. Are, are you are you kidding me right now? I mean, do you not pay attention? I just gave you a twenty to one winner at Kentucky Downs the other day. I mean, Cece, maybe you should seriously consider boxing your IQ. Unfortunately for you, that's only two horses a race. The auxiliary gate, big problem. Welcome to episode number 119 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus, joined by Alan Schneider. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man, my uh, beloved Kentucky Wildcat football team, give me football or basketball any day, especially these days. They're in the top 10. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Top 10 and a lot more wins to come and stuff, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but... Uh, they're solid. They're solid, and that's all I ask. And uh, I'm thinking maybe we might stay there for a while if we can get a couple of decent wins down the road. You know, if they had the uh, 12-team playoff, mm-hmm. Kentucky would be in. As of now, I mean, you know, two games into the season yeah. and stuff. They're a Will Levis injury from being, uh, you know, being in trouble, but they're solid defensively. The line's going to get better. Get Chris Rodriguez back. They got some playmakers at receiver. I can go on and on and on, but there's nothing better than college football. And I'm sorry, you and most time horse racing, it's hard to live up on a really good college football Saturday. But um, it's well, it's a great time of the year. I did want to broach a topic about college football. I know Florida beat Utah in the first game, and then they were immediately ranked 12th, right? The 12th. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I haven't followed the polls. I assume Marshall is in the top 20 now after beating. Notre Dame? Nope. Is right? I don't believe so. You know how that stuff goes. The name, the name, just like in racing, the name, the names always get the benefit of the doubt, right? Texas A&M, uh, for some reason, is ranked highly every year. They absolutely shit the bed at home. They're still ranked. Uh, don't know if Appalachian State even may. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, Marshall beats Notre Dame and doesn't get in there. I mean, we, we can go on and on. But they bend over backwards for the big-time programs. And I can't say that we're, we're a major in a major conference. I mean, we we do reap some of the benefits from that, but I mean, come on. I mean, Florida got the 12 last week. They're just absolute garbage in spots on the field. What, so why is uh, college football so snobbish about the, the allowing only the best teams to compete when you have college basketball and March Madness? It's it's uh, you know the 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 tournament always features the mid major teams with the upsets, and that's you know that's who everybody wants. To play, what's well, what's, the, what's the difference? Well, you know, you have twelve scholarships in, in college basketball, right? And then you have a hundred and five. You can hoard and redshirt guys and hoard them and stuff. And yeah, but and, my question, my question is though, why why does the public fawn over the the, the elite teams in football and true, they, I, they root against the, the elite teams in basketball in the tournament? I see your point. I guess that maybe they're more accustomed to seeing. Uh, I mean, it's it's. It's a little easier to beat a team in basketball, right? I mean, it's easy to knock off. I don't want to say Duke because everybody just automatically goes to Duke, but they're no better than a lot of other teams and stuff. It's easier to beat a Duke, a Carolina, a UCLA, whomever, like in basketball, a 40-minute game of five-on-five. It's a lot harder to beat a team that's stacked with 22 across the board like in Alabama with, you know, three layer, three and four layers of depth behind them. I guess that's that what it boils down to. You're just people just They just know that – it's such a rarity in, in college football to beat the truly elite teams. I mean, who's going to beat Georgia, Alabama outside of a Georgia or Alabama, right? So I, I guess that's why you just you just see it more often. You know it can happen in basketball. I just I, I want to see them at least try to, to mm. be knock off an elite team. That's why I want a 12 team playoff, at least an 18 playoff. That's 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 what I've been wanting for years. And, I just and you're like you're right there because it's going to take to beat a, a top tier team in college football. You have to be a 
a top second tier team to do it, right? That makes sense. I mean, to beat a Georgia, it's not going to be an unranked team that, that beats someone like a Georgia right now. It's just, it's just not. But maybe it's someone like an, like an Oklahoma or someone like that on their best day with matchup wise, they could. So it, 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 that's how it works in college. You're going to have to have that top tier second level team to, to even have a shot at a team like that. You know, September used to be a really uh, a slow month in horse racing. That's why, you know, it, it, I always caught a lot of college football, NFL football. Right. That's, that's not the case anymore in this state. Uh, back in the old days, it used to be Turfway that would run in uh, September. And then Kentucky Downs would run on the weekends. And then you'd have that uh, intermingled card. And, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't top priority. Nowadays... Kentucky Downs means business. Turfway is uh, no longer running in September. And, and then Churchill runs some uh, races of real Breeders' Cup importance Yeah, in the latter half of the meet. And then you've got the Keeneland sales uh, that are going on right now. And I, I went up there Monday night, and that was a lot of fun just to hang out. And, What'd you buy me? Well, uh, it's coming uh, in Christmas, around Christmas. I will uh, – I'm going to mail this uh, – to you in a in a uh, by FedEx in a large uh, six foot by six foot box. Okay, all right. I hope it survives. Uh, I'm hoping I, I accept nothing less than seven hundred fifty thousand. I bought oh. uh, I bought insurance on the box. <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully hopefully it'll survive the the journey to your house. But so how did it go? It was fun, man. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, it's not like it used to be in the July sale. The July sales used to be. At Keeneland used to be at night, and it was always 95 degrees every night, and all the stars were there. I mean, you'd see Baffert, and you'd see Lucas, and you'd see, uh, you know, any any top horseman, any, any top farm manager, any top owner, they'd all be there. Sheikh Mohammed would be there somewhere, you know, and you could see his giant jet across this, across uh, uh, Versailles Road at the airport. I mean, it was just, and there was always buzz in the air. And I remember being there one night when Bob Baffert bought a $3.5 million horse for, uh, Prince Salmon that won the Derby with, uh, War Emblem. And he, he had point given and, and all those good horses. And that was a lot of fun because everybody was just freaking out because, you know, it was just like, there's Baffert and they were all celebrating after they won the race. And of course the horse turned out to be nothing like most of these horses will. It's amazing to me that they they still bid millions of dollars on these horses because that's just it's almost arrogance. It is to a point. I mean, they, these horses that they bid so much on, there's, there's no way they're going to return their investment. You know, like I think we've kind of learned it's the horses in the in the middle that turn out to be the ones that uh, are the good buys, the hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollar horses. But I guess it's the the thrill of chasing a Derby dream that uh, that, that these owners are are looking for. And, and, having, and having more money than they know what to do with, apparently. Business is good, apparently, because uh, there's been a lot of million-dollar horses. I was going to run over the top five or six uh, purchases. Uh, the first one was a Quality Road Colt that brought $2.5 million. But the the second horse, uh, I'm going to you, – you'll know this name. Of course, the Sire's Constitution and the dam was last full measure. You know who that mayor was, right? You remember yeah. last full measure? Yeah, I do. I, I remember who, who she produced off the top of my head. Well, she won the Madison Stakes at Keeneland on the poly track, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Vicky Oliver. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, that horse brought $1.8 million. Then the third hire, third highest horse was uh, a son of Curlin out of Karina Mia. And Karina Mia won the – she was a grade one winner for Chad Brown, right? Test? Did she win the test or something Something up there in New York? Really good horse. Yeah, so sorry, I'm watching the, the last race at Kentucky Downs right now. I'm not great meet, man. Have I? Uh, I've loved this meet. This meet's been fantastic. It's, yeah, I'm not gonna get anything in the last race. Looks like did Joel win that one? Of course. I mean, I'm apparently you're slower than I am and stuff. I don't know, but uh, okay. Well, Joel got there, but yeah, Kentucky Downs concludes their meet just just right now. And uh, it looks like, yeah, Joel Rosario won the finale aboard uh, somebody for Arnaud Delacour. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, so, but they gave a lot of, gave away a lot of money. And uh, it's a very important 
meet, I would say, for a lot of horsemen because that's where you get even with these giant purses, $180,000 purses. That, that pays a lot of months training bills. Yeah, no question about that. I don't have that kind of money, but uh, I admire those who do. Man, yeah, my horse finished way back. That's awesome. Okay, par for the course. But anyway, so uh, let's talk about uh, Churchill Downs meets opening tomorrow. And uh, Saturday is a day you need to get out to the track because that's a big day. There's a lot of a lot of great stakes, a lot of important horse races. We we cannot go any further without talking about probably the feature race on the car, which would be the Iroquois Stakes, which is mile 16th for two-year-olds. Michelle Lovell has one of the top two-year-olds in the country. That's Damon's Mound's going to run in the Iroquois. And he drew post number three. Gabriel Saez will ride, but that race came up very tough, in my opinion. You've got Jace's Road to his outside. I think that's in post six. Brad Cox, horse that broke his maiden at Ellis Park, and I know the connections are high on him. In fact, this horse came from the Keeneland September yearling sale himself. They paid $510,000 for this guy. And then on the far outside is a horse that's coming from Saratoga. Kind of set the uh, the racing world abuzz. When he broke his maiden at Saratoga on August 20th for Steve Asmus and Joel Rosario, this is another son of Gunrunner for the Winchells. Horse won the six and three quarters in length. This is going to be a slobber knocker. 115 and four, that horse went in 115 and four that day in hand. That's that's pretty fast. Doesn't matter though. Don't give a damn who they put in there. I'm only picking one horse. I don't care. Stamen's mound to me. I don't give a shit. We don't have a morning line. How would you uh, how would you rank these horses on the morning line? I'm glad you asked because here's what here's what's going to happen because everybody says, oh, I'm so for the smaller trainer. I'm I'm all for the I'm all for that middle middle of the road guy. They get their shot. Michelle be third choice in a race probably because at the end of the day, the people will talk a good game like they talk a good game about Baffert. I'm not going to bet Baffert. He's two to five at Delmar for some fucking reason. Um, what's going to happen? I, I think Damon's Mount will take money. Don't get me wrong. But uh, they're going to see Brad Cox with Jason's Road. They're going to see Asmus with this horse. It's going to be Asmus at six to five. Uh, I, yeah, I think he'll probably be six to five. I think Jason's Road is going to be Cole's second choice, maybe with Dame or Cole third choice. However you look at it, with Damon's Mountain around five to two, three to one. But yeah, even though Damon's uh, Damon's Mountain's had all the buzz because it's Steve Asmus and Brad Cox versus Michelle Lovell. It'll be a slightly overlaid price on Damon's Mountain. I, I would not be surprised if she went off third choice. It'd probably be second choice, but I'm telling you, I just I just know what people do and, and such, and that's fine. If you like Damon's Mound, if you're a fan of these people, that that okay with it and stuff. But uh, that's what'll happen. Everybody will default. They'll they'll talk a good game. They'll default to they'll default to the big connections. Here's another oh. horse. Cur- Cur- we kind of glossed over. Curly Jack is in there at, in the five hole for Tom Amos and Edgar Morales. Horse that's for a second. That's a sleeper. Here in second in the Ells Park Juvenile, they were 14 lengths clear, clear of third, and he was only beaten ahead. This horse is bred for two turns. He's by good magic out of a Roman ruler mare. Connie Michael uh, was the dam, and I think that horse ran well at Saratoga back in the day, going two turns. So, yeah, this is a – It's a good race. It's a good that's race. a Donnybrook. This is going to – you know, I, I think I think maybe the juvenile favorite was determined on Sunday afternoon when Bob Baffert's horse uh, – Cave Rock won the Delmar Futurity. I think he ran a hole in the wind. And I think that horse is, uh, gosh, that, he could be anything. He, he could be a triple crown winner from what we've seen over the last 10 years. But, uh, cause he, he went straight to the front and never looked back and looked like he had plenty more in, in, in reserve. So, uh, did Corniche do the same thing last year? Where's Corniche? This horse is way better than Corniche. <laughs> that is that. That goes my point. Michelle Lovell ain't being fifteen to one in the Breeders' Cup in the Breeders' Cup doing by the time it's all said and done because everybody, the latest Johnny come lately will come along from the big barn or whatever, and she'll get, and not just her. There'll be other people for like that forgotten about and stuff, and it, it's just what happens and such. I won't forget her. You won't forget her, but you know. Well, if he's whoever wins this race is probably going to be a clear second or third choice in the Breeders' Cup. I think uh, whoever. Uh, I think K-Rock would be first if he makes the race, and then this race will produce a second or third choice, and then it just depends on what happens at Keeneland in the Breeders' Futurity. Probably be uh, be right there. So, yeah, it's uh, 
Churchill's got Saturday. It's a nice card. And then the last race Saturday is the Pocahontas. It's the uh, the sister race to the Iroquois. And not not as uh, top heavy, perhaps as the Iroquois, but it's a full field here, and there's a lot of a lot of nice fillies that could be uh, up and coming. I'm I'm looking at fun and feisty for local connections, the Lucky Seven stable for Ken mm-hmm. McPeak and That's Julian Leopard. Like- uh, just a warrior who's undefeated in two starts. Daughter Justify for John Ortiz, but they all drew bad posts. Uh, our friend Sarah Hamilton is in the race with Need Some Money, who just uh, broke her maiden in, at the end of the Ellis meet. Uh, $8,000 purchase, $9,000 purchase, and she's already earned that back four times. And I, I assume the well, the heavy favorite is probably going to be Grand Love for Steve Asmussen, daughter of Gunrunner, again. Broke her maiden at Saratoga easily. And uh, Joel Rosario will be here to ride. So uh, that's probably going to be your heavy favorite. And then the rest, uh, you just, you know, it's wide open. So I will say that uh, this is the time of year when it's almost like, because uh, this Churchill meet is usually indicative of the, of the up and coming two year olds, horses that stretch out, right? We will, we're going to see a lot in, in upcoming months. And this is where this time of year you can blind bet Ken McPeak. You'll be able to blind that Ken McPeak at seven furlongs, mile to 16. He stretched these horses out. They're going to win at six to one, nine to one, 16 to one. He'll win first time starters going around the ground and stuff. He did it all last year. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to win it every time, but, and he won't be the only trainer like that. These guys have these, these, these programs that point to this time of year when their horses really fire their best shot. So, I mean, I'd blind bet McPeak half the time, not on the, the experienced horse, but the young horses. And there's a few other trainers such as that. But just remember, McPeak and and Brian Hernandez and Julian LaPrue, they're going to win their share. Well, and that goes through the end of the Churchill meet in November. Yeah, I I remember, uh, yeah, was it McPeak won two races on closing weekend, like 10 to 1, something like that. Both of them were 10 to 1, first-time starters. 20 to 1, that. 20 you to know. one first time, one by a mile, cocktail, cocktail, cocktail moments. Yeah. Cocktail yeah. moments, park then, on the yeah. Nile. We can go on and on. And, and that's not, that's just, his, that's just his debuters. I mean, he's going to, so you, you want to win a, you want to wonder how you hit a big pick four, pick five, single make peak on some eight, 10, 12 to one shot. And on some young horse, you won't win every time, but you'll eventually, you'll eventually score. Yeah. So, uh, also can't leave out our, Previous podcast guests, race eight is Locust Grove, mile and 16, $400,000, Phillies and Mares. Number two is Envoutant, mm-hmm. who races for Walking L Thoroughbreds. Uh, Scott Leeds was on our podcast, uh, I think last year at some point. Great guy. And, of course, Lil Tootsie, who won the groupie doll for Joel Politi, who's also a past podcast guest. And uh, he got mad at me because I didn't pick his Philly last time out. But uh, maybe I'll make amends this time around. I think you have to have people on this card been on this podcast. I don't know what they've been do- doing slumming with us, but uh, I think have people running Saturday been on this on this podcast. <laughs> of course, his late pick five kicks off with uh, an old rivalry, the Open Mind States. You've got Sconson versus Bell's the one. I can't believe they're hooking up again. That's awesome. Uh, Bell's, go ahead. I say Bell's the one usually – Gets better as the year goes on. Kind of like I thought Club Car was going to do last year. I thought Club Car was going to have a big year. That did not happen. Uh, she's in the race. But in that last race, Bill's one was obviously the best horse in the race, and they, they do trade punches a lot. Wisconsin got a bad ride last time. Uh, I, I thought she kind of sat inside, and I think Tyler Gapleon let Corey Lannery get momentum on the outside, and he, he let Corey Lannery get going ahead of him, and I, the race was over at that point. I'm not saying it's going to turn the tides this time, but – I. I don't think Wisconsin got the best ride last time. And, and of course, Corey Lannery knows Bell's the one. Like, I mean, they're one and the same. So uh, it should be another fun another fun uh, contest between the two. I don't know who's going to win. I'm not going to pretend that I do. Yeah. Tail of the tape, Wisconsin's 5 out of 10 at Churchill Downs, $807,000 in earnings. Bell's the one, 5 out of 11, $952,000 in earnings. That's just at Churchill. At the distance, Bell's the one, 8 out of 9 at six furlongs. And Sconson, three out of five. That's incredible. Isn't it? It's incredible that, that one's eight out of nine, one's three out of five, because it feels like they run against each other all the time, right? So it feels like they should both be five out of ten. So it, it, just, it actually goes to prove the point that they haven't run against each other as much as we think they have, but it has been quite a bit. 
joyful cadence in there as well. That filly uh, probably could be lone speed. And I think she might be dangerous as well. She's getting better, it looks like. So good race. Could be a fun car. That's uh, if you're uh, out and about or you don't have anything to do, just uh, stop in a church. Yeah, that's going to be a going to be a lot of fun. You'll see and, some and I'd ask, there's a there's a horse in the fifth race by McCracken. It's a baby, a two year old named Release McCracken. That's awesome. That is yeah. that is one of my favorite names of all time. And that's yeah. with a horse named Loggins in there too. So I mean, you can go with a name exact. Boom. Wow, that, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a hard time. I know. I mean, I'm Place not one of these that names. There's a horse in there called King Me too. I bet Prince Charles plays that one. Oh, it's the name yeah. derby. That's right up your alley. <laughs> you got it. All what right. Else we got. Uh, I don't have anything else before we get to our guest. What do you think? I don't know. I'm anxious to talk to our guest. The guy's on a roll. All right. Well, without further ado, here he is. Okay, our next guest on the podcast is uh, one that uh, has a connection that's uh, that we're near and dear to my heart and my family's heart, and uh, he is the son of uh, uh, of a trainer that uh, trained a lot of winners for my dad and his friends, and he's on his way back from Franklin, Kentucky. He just uh, had a horse run at Kentucky Downs, and he's had a hot meet, and he's had a hot start to his training career. He's not been training very long on his own, but he's got a lot of uh, good tutelage uh and a lot of uh, good experience under his belt. And I'm talking of none other than Jeff Hiles. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here. Uh, like you said, I am driving, so if the noise gets out of hand, just let me know, and I'll do the best I can. Uh, you sound great so far. Uh, Jeff uh, had a great meet at Kentucky Downs. You knocked out two uh, two of those big purses. Uh, talk about uh, your, your time in Franklin. Well, you know, the thing is, I didn't quite, my win percentage isn't quite as high as I wanted it to be there or hope for it to be. But if you ever win a race there, it's a big deal in my eyes. And like you said, we went two races and had a second in the same day. That was the first time I'd ever win two races in the same day. And to do it there was really big for me. Just to win a horse race, you know, it's it's a big deal. We're in a game to where if you win, it's 20% of the time you're considered doing good, which means you're losing 80% of the time. So whenever you win a horse race, it's good at anywhere. And then to win one at Kentucky Downs or a place like that, it's it's really good. And then to win two in the same day is even that much better. So that's been a good thing. All of them didn't run as well as we hoped for, but, you know, that's just horse racing. And that track, that course, everybody's taking chances over top of it. You don't know for sure whether they're going to take to it or not. But you just take your shots and let the pieces fall where they may. So one of your horses that did take to the track was Time for Trouble. I know that horse ran at Belterra. In a three horse race prior to this start to what, what led you to, uh, take a swing at the, uh, this big, this, uh, big allowance purse off the win at Belterra? Well, he's bred for it. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a half to a, a, a stakes, his with sister or brother, I can't remember which one it is. One of them, his siblings are stakes, uh, stakes winners and then his, the mayor's a stakes winner. And, but anyway, we claimed him for 8,000 last spring. At Churchill Downs and my partner on him, Paul Parker, who actually, who bred, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know the name, Rated Our Superstar. And I've actually got, I've got his half sister, Lavish Habits as well. Um, him and I become pretty good friends and we decided to go partners on a horse and, you know, he actually picked him out to claim at Churchill last spring and the horse was walking over and we looked at him. I said, Paul, he's awfully small. <laughs> he said, I don't care about that. He said, he's bred to go long. So, uh, we claimed him, and, you know, right after that, we run him at Belterra. We sat on him for a little bit and just took him out to High Point Training Center. It's like training off a farm. And we ran him up at Belterra Park last summer in a starter eight, allowance going a mile and three-eighths. We stretched him out a quarter of a mile farther than he's ever went before in his whole life. And that's, he's out of a Galileo mare, and he's by English Channel, so he's bred long turf, right? So when he ran up there, he just demolished the field. And, I mean, you can say what you want to about Belterra or whatever, but, Going the distance is what plays for him. And he set a track record that day. So we run him back, and they used to ride a starter 10 down at Kentucky Downs every year, which is what yeah. a lot of people would shoot for because the purse was so good down there. And you could take a, a lower-level climbing horse who might be doing good who could play to that course, and you could run him there and maybe knock out a big purse that you're not used to getting. So we run him in the starter 10 last year, and he got beat by a nice horse named Yamamoto. And... 
he barely got beat, finished second over that course, so now we know that he can play through the course. We'll be running back at, at Keeneland uh, the next start. It was wet, nasty that day, and he finished like 10th. So what we ended up doing is we gelded him, and we just turned him out for the winter. And I went to Florida, and I picked him up when I got back, and we just started working with him, getting him ready to run. So we entered him up at Belterra a couple of different times, and they would come off the grass or, you know, something like that. So finally we just got tired of it, and they come off the grass that day, and it scratched down to a three-horse field, and, I mean, he went easy. And so we sat on him, and we entered him again, and it did, you know, we just had kind of hit and miss with him. So we thought, hell, this, if we're going to take a shot, we know that he likes the course. He still has his 1X condition. Uh, he's doing it exceptionally well. So let's just, just fire down there and see what we got. And sure enough, you know, you go back and watch the replay of the race, you run a hell of a race. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. a boxing match coming up that yes. hill. He's banged all around, and he still managed to come out on top. If a horse can do that and not quit, then, you know, you're, you're, you've got some, some firepower. So your other winner was a horse named Natural Power, and this was a little bit of a surprise. I think he went off maybe 20, 22 to 1, something like that. It was was this a surprise to you? I know you, I'm sure the horse was doing well leading up to the race, but on uh, on paper he he had a kind of a, a tough go of it the last two or three races. No, it wasn't a surprise to me, and the reason I'll tell you why. So last year Miguel Mena rode him down there, and he come back and said, "Man, I should have won." He said he loved this horse. He said I had the best horse, and his races are deceiving. Yeah, his last couple of races really aren't. They they are what they are. But I have excuses for each one of them. And so we set on him through the winter, and he was kind of hit and miss and hit and miss. And I thought, well, screw it. I'm going to put him in for the tag and the two other then down at Gulfstream and spring him and see how he does. And so we did. I said, Somebody, nobody's going to take him for 62.5. And if they do, you know, so be it. So we put him in the tag, put him in for the tag down there because the, uh, I didn't want him running for the condition yet. And I saved the condition, and he come from dead last at the top of the stri- stretch at the Gulfstream, which you don't hardly see, and just blew by them all, 45 to 1. And uh, so we hit on that. He paid $93 that day. So now I've saved the condition with him. And so I ran him right back in the same race and used his condition, and he, he did the same thing. He come from dead last at the top of the stretch, and he just blew by them all again and went again. He went off at 6 or 7 to 1 that day. So... We thought, well, let's take a shot with him, and we ran him into Shaker Town. Well, we we drew one of the best sprinters probably in the world. Golden, Golden Powell. Powell. Yeah. And, I mean, that race, from the start, the first five jumps, the horse was out in front of the rest of the field by ten lengths. It was absolutely incredible how he run. I remember. So, yeah. And so that was a throwout race for us. I mean, he can't come from behind off a horse like that, giving him that much, that much pace, you know, that much length. Those horses don't stop. And, uh, so we ran him back in the three other then. He kind of got in a little trouble and didn't fire real strong. And so I decided to take him up the Presque Isle and run him up there in a hundred thousand. That was a I mean, top of the stretch. He looked like he was getting ready to fire. And hell, the horse who won that race set a track record went 107 for six furlongs. So, I mean, you can't close into that. So I just sat on him for a little bit and we put him back in the same race that he's already won twice. And we know that he can get over the course. And what I did was I stretched him back out a little bit because he can close a little bit better the longer. You know, come from behind sprinters are extremely exciting, but it's also a little difficult to do. The longer you go, the better chance you got. So we stretched him out to a mile, and it's a one-turn mile, so it's still a long sprint. And he was able to get the job done. Talk about the uh, the course at Kentucky Downs. Is this a, a course you want to get a lot of your horses over because it kind of legs them up for their – future starts or is, is it is it all about the money or is it is it more about uh, planning ahead too it's both it just depends on your horse i ran a horse and down there in the kentucky turf cup that you know arguably well not arguably he shouldn't have been in there i mean on paper wise he didn't fit he went off at like 150 to one but if you're going to take a shot like that with a grass horse that's the place that you can do it so when they go up and down those hills Either they're going to take to it or they're not. It's like when they when they start coming down those hills, like time for trouble. He accelerated coming down that hill when you make when you're coming around that turn. Some of them start coming down that hill and they just kind of like, oh crap, you know. It's sort of like what I equate it to is when you're sitting, when you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you hit a little patch of ice that you don't see. Your next stride after stepping on that ice and slipping is not going to be a big long stride. 
you're going to shorten up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with some of those horses. They, they either take to it or they don't. Some of them check themselves, but some of them keep on running. And the ones that keep on running and are fit enough can make it up that hill and, and run well. The ones that aren't, well, they don't. <laughs> but as far as my horses go, I like Kentucky Downs. I have an uphill training course out there at High Point that I've trained over. I think it's a place where first-time starters, I'm not scared just to run them down there because, for one, where I come from at High Point, it's like training on a farm, and then you're taking them to a farm to run. So if you don't have them at Churchill or a bigger track to where, you know, they're getting the schooling that they may necessarily need or something like that, it's a good first-time start, sort of like going to Indiana or something like that because you're not taking having to take everything in. The course is, I mean, you just throw that out. Some of them, they don't know what they're doing anyway. I mean, you do your best to get them ready for the first time, but, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Are all of your horses based at High Point? No, I've got some at Churchill. I've got stalls at Churchill. So I have two different two different strings, a string at Churchill. And then uh, my biggest, my majority is at High Point, though. I got you. Are you going to Florida again this winter? Yes. Yeah, Florida's a, a destination spot for the winter and hopefully years to come. But, I mean, the, the way things are getting around Kentucky, I mean, it's going to be the main circuit for the winter. The money's just getting extremely well. Do you see yourself ever staying over the winter here? I might leave some back this year. Uh, hmm. Stalls are coming; they're, they're becoming crucial, and I, you know I need to yeah. keep my stalls. Or I have them at a high point, so right. like, there's a there's a chance I, I might leave 10, 10, 10 or so back this year. And then we're going to have our babies coming in that uh, I'm going to be having their high point getting going as well. So I'll be back and forth a lot from Florida to Kentucky, but the majority will go to Florida. I understand. Okay. Alan, why don't you take over? But uh, I've got some more important questions to ask later on. I had a feeling you did. Hey, uh, Jeff, first and foremost, we should mention you're a Marine, correct? Yes. Yes. And how long did you serve? I was in for five years. Well, first and foremost, above all else, uh, both CC and I want to thank you for your service. We truly mean that. We, uh, all of our guests who are on here, like, we want to make sure that you know that it is appreciated. So thank you, first and foremost. And uh, secondly, we had Mark Sims on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was in the military. Do you know Mark? Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, he's a military man, and one thing that struck us with him is even though he was all over the world as part of the service, he always managed to find a racetrack somewhere and never get too far away from the game and get to, and get to a racetrack. When you were in the service, did you manage to uh, keep that love of the game alive by hitting the races? Well, okay, so – I grew up in the horse business, so it's always been a part of my life. Right. The horse world is very small. So mm-hmm. when you get when you get outside of the circle, like Steve Asmussen, the, the winningest trainer of all time, you could go out to somebody in Dallas, Texas, who's never been to a horse race, and they don't have the slightest clue who he is. But in the, in the horse world, everybody knows him, right? So in the military, I was stationed in Hawaii. Oh. And, yeah, most people – didn't even know the first thing about horse racing. So every time my dad had a horse running or the Kentucky Derby was on or something like that, we, a big group of people would get around and they would watch it and they would learn about it. And these are people that had never even seen, some of them had never even seen a horse in person before. So I, I always did, yes, and I always brought people around me in on it. And a lot of them learned a lot about it. But a lot of people out there don't have the slightest clue about horse racing and what, what goes into it. So did they know the Kentucky Derby in Hawaii, I would think? I mean, you're from, being from this area, you always have that. I mean, did they know that? Yeah, yeah. No, they knew about the Kentucky Derby, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, most people know about the, in fact, I don't think I've run across one person that doesn't know about the Kentucky Derby, but they don't know about anything else. A lot of them don't. Well, that's something else. Well, you know, we got, we had Billy Dentic on last year, and we had him right about the time he formed this little partnership with Brooke T. Smith, and you were going to be his trainer called Rocket Ship. And uh, it looks like things are going pretty well with Rocket Ship and Billy and Mr. Smith. Uh, uh, Can we expect that to grow from this point on? Because things seem to be going pretty well so far with all those big pots you're taking down. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really went well, better than expected. And Brooke has really got excited, and he is – wanted to do big things with rocket ship racing and i'm not going to go into all of it and what he's talking to me about but of it's, course it's a lot he's a, he does a lot i mean he does a lot everywhere 
and everything he does is big, and he's, he plans on doing the same thing with Rocket Ship Racing. Who came up with the name? I love the name. You know, originally it was Rocket Ship Launchpad, and <laughs> you had a horse there, name Launchpad, right? There was a horse name Launchpad. Yep. Yep, yeah. he ran at Keeneland last year, and uh, Michelle Lovell actually claimed him from Billy. That's right. But um, it was so the, the name was Rocket Ship Launchpad, and Brooke has some other businesses, RSLP investments, and different things. I, I don't know about all that, but so we claimed all the all the first horses in RSLP racing, and Brooke decided to change the name <laughs> about halfway through when we claimed about eight to ten horses. So I had to go back through and change all the ownership names every time we entered but no it's been a, it's been a great adventure and brooke come up with the with the name i love that and you mentioned michelle which leads me to a well, this podcast i'm always going to find a way to segue through michelle lovell but this one actually is legitimate um there's these certain trainers when you follow a circuit like we do there's certain trainers that develop tend to develop a niche right they they, they become known whether fair or unfairly for certain things like Wesley Ward, people think of two-year-olds, right? When Michelle Lovell, they kind of think of turf sprinters. Uh, Mike Maker, turf marathon reclamation pro- projects. You are, in my mind, you're, you're starting to get that one of those niche reputations too. You tell me if I'm right or wrong or if it's a coincidence that the turf routers, it seems to me like you've got a knack with turf routers. My two turns. It's seven to one, fourteen to one, twenty-one to one, thirty-five to one. We're gonna get get into here in a minute, or whatever. Is that fair, or is that just the, the luck of the draw, the way it's worked out for you? I don't know. I just <laughs> I run them where I think they belong. Get them. Billy jokes. Speaking of Billy Dinsick, he always jokes. He says, "You're the only person I know who can take a sprinter and turn him into a route horse." <laughs> and he, he he just jokes about it because I just do it. And I, I don't know what it is. I just I think distance training is. I like it, and it's. I think it's. Well, I don't want to get into turf trainers. I don't, I'm not putting them down by any or uh, sprinters. I mean, it, it takes just as much thought and process to train sprinters as it does a, a router. But I just, I like the technical analysis of, of routing. I, I mean, I don't have a really straightforward answer. Just, I just, some of the horses that I've run into have just played out that way. Yeah, well, it just seems to me like when I see Jeff Howells in the winter circle, he just popped it. 20 to 1 with lavish habits or rogue uh, rogue element or something like that on the turf. And it just seems like it's kind of become, to me, at least me, you know, like a bit of a calling card for you. So, and there's money in that too, right? So that's a good thing. Um, well, that, it's good. <laughs> it's good to the point with the exception of the turf. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a problem. <laughs> it's been a huge problem for, you know, I think a lot of people, it's been a huge, I can Speak for everybody else. It's been a big problem for me in Kentucky this year because it seems like every time you enter, the rain comes, it gets taken off the turf. You got your decision of whether you should run or shouldn't run. The horse needs to run. Do you take a chance on him running bad? I mean, do you ship down to Ellis Park? And I mean, so there's so many things that go into it. I've had a, I haven't had the best luck of running on the turf, which is one one reason why I've run so many starts at Kentucky Downs this yeah. year. So I, I'd say you're not. In the, there's a lot of people in the same boat as you because it's not just you know, because you got to come up with different game plans on the spot, right? It's like, well, I had my horse ready to go here now. Now I can't run him for God knows when. I mean, now in here in Kentucky, you can't run Keeneland. And, of course, Keeneland turf racing is pretty tough, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I feel for you guys. But and Keeneland does, doesn't write the lower-level no, claiming race. Either. It's all high-end stuff. I know. Yeah. I know. And now that Ellis is shut down in Kentucky Downs, and then, you know, then it's turfway, so – I can see why Florida is going to be welcome to come to, right, uh, come the winter time. There'll be turf racing down there. So, you know, but I mentioned Rogue Element, and I want to mention Mark Rogue just redid their turf. I talked to them. Oh, they did? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, getting back to Rogue, Rogue Element, I mentioned for a couple of reasons. One, I believe you won the last turf race of the year at Churchill before they came back for the Arlington Million. Is that, am I right about that? I think you did. I'm not sure. Uh, well, I, I actually am because I'm using this as a shameless self-promotion for myself because I bet Rogue Element the day you won, that you won on. He's 35 to 1, Corey Lannery. I want to bring him up not just for that, but because Rogue Element is a horse that uh, was 
talented as early on, and he started really go off the rails, and he, he'd ever win. You got a hold of him, he blows him off the doors at Keeneland, comes right back and takes another big allowance thing at uh, Churchill. So what I'm wondering is, what did you do to Roll Gilman to finally get him turned around? It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I mean... You did something, man. I mean, like, you thought no, you Look, I claimed this horse for 20000 Guy came in the barn last spring. I thought it was a good claim. I had watched him because Dale Rowan's had him before. And they've been afforded Derby and the Ohio Derby yeah. as a maiden. Yes, and I remember. I thought, well, he, they thought something of him. And I talked to some other people who, were, who had been around the horse. They're like, oh, he's fine. Don't worry about it. Well, we got him. And he had some issues, which a lot a lot of horses do. But, you know, it's just. You got to deal with him and get through him. So we ran him a few times. He gets beat by double digits every time he run. So we we did we did some things with him and laid him off for a little bit of time. And I brought him back, got him ready down Florida, and I took him over to Tampa and I ran him in a maiden twenty five. And he ran a deceivingly good race. I loved the way he ran over the turf. He didn't fit. He finished strong. I just thought he got not the best ride. And he finished like ninth, but his stride looked different than it did on the dirt. So I've got to explain to the guy who owns him at the time, hey, you know, we drove all the way over here to Tampa, which is four hours from Palm Meadows. Yeah. In the trip. And we get back. I said, look, I'm going to drop him. We'll put him in for 16 at Gulfstream. We'll run him and go from there. So the guy drives over from Naples, Florida. He goes down to, he's from Louisville, but he he lives in Florida for the winter. He's a super, just an extremely nice guy. He's somebody who'd give me a chance to claim some horses and also go to the sale and buy a horse. And I just, I, I really wanted to do the best I could for him. So Corey rode him that day and breaking out of the gate, he just, he never even got into a fast gallop and he got beat by like 41 lengths or something like that. He just never even, and no, and he was doing, I thought he was doing good going into the race, but we switched him back to dirt from the turf and, Sometimes, you know, I've always heard that some of the turf horses, once you get them on the turf, they'll never go back to the dirt. And that's, that's with him. But, so I, after the race, you know, I'm standing there looking at this guy and he's put all this money and time a year now into the horse and here he just got his head knocked off and barely got into a fast gallop. So I, you know, I told him, I said, look, I'll just, I'll, I'll wipe your hands clean of him. I'll just take him and, you know, I'll give him a couple chances and I'll pay the bills on him and, if he doesn't turn out to be anything, then I'll just I'll just make him a stable pony. Cause I needed a pony. I didn't have one, and I had a bunch of two-year-olds coming in, and you need you need one for for them to get them used to it. But I didn't give up on him. Is the biggest thing. I thought that there was something there. And so we get we leave Florida at the end of March, first of April, and we get back to Churchill. And I send him to Churchill, let him train over there, and he just got to doing really really good. I was going to run him for ten thousand. At Churchill, and I thought, you know what? The way they claim horses, and they see his back, his back class a little bit. Even though he's been, he's done what he's done. Somebody still might take him, and I don't want to give up on him just yet. And so he was, like I said, he was doing really good. And the bottom's the bottom, no matter where you're at. And the same horses that are running for Maiden Twenty, which is the yeah. bottom at Keelan, going to be running for Maiden Ten at Churchill. So I thought, screw it. Let's just put him in over there's a Maiden Twenty come up on the overnights as an extra. I thought, well, let's just run him over there, and I'll put Corey back on. Corey, always, he's always rode hard for me and, and gave me an honest ride. So we were standing there in the paddock, and Billy Dendick was standing there. He said, well, <laughs> if, if, if Looks won the race, he'd definitely be a winner. And we all just kind of laughed about it. And he went out there, and when they broke he, there was something strange about that, though. When he went in the gate, he was 17 to 1. Yeah. And when he come out, <laughs> when, they, when, when, when they broke out of the gate, he was 7 to 1, and it wasn't because of me. <laughs> you don't have that kind of money. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't have that much faith in him. To be honest, I didn't know what he. I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't know if he'd go out there and do the same thing he did before. If he'd go out there and actually try. He blew the doors so, off of him. Well, he. Well, he, so when he breaks, he does the same thing he did in Florida. He barely got into you know a real strong gallop, and he's dead last by about five going into the first turn. And I thought, well, here we go again. He's going to do this crap right in front of this crowd at Keeneland. <laughs> and sure enough, going around the back turn, you know, going down the back stretch, started picking picking it up. And now this was not the best field either. No. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why in just a second. So he, he, but he's making this move and he's knocking them off one by one. We come around the far turn. I thought, 
shit, this motherfucker might win. And we're about, <laughs> by this time, you know, I've been standing there with one of the girls that, who works at Keeneland, and she's bet, she bet on him. And she's sitting there, you know, screaming. I'm like, hell, this gets exciting at this point. And sure enough, you know, he just went by him like it was, like they were all standing still, and he ended up winning. We were shocked. I was too. And got our picture taken, and you know, if you look, if you if you watch the replay and see Corey, his his whole face and body and the horse's face and body are just straight covered in dirt as he's coming down the as he's coming down the stretch. But when you go back and watch the replay at the top of the stretch, you got about four horses in front of him that's the that's actually trying, and the rest of the field or back behind him doing what he did the race before, just in a, a gallop. <laughs> so, so, you know, after that race, I thought, and my, my dad, he told me I was crazy for doing this, but, you know, whatever, I didn't really care. I thought I liked him on the grass the way that Ben, the racing secretary at Churchill, writes the starter allowance is, is pretty much a non-two. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a starter allowance where you've had the race besides claiming race. So you don't have your tough starter horses in there that could have never won an allowance race before. You've only got claiming horses that can run in it. And it was a mile and an eighth on the grass. And I loved him on the grass. And I told Corey, he went off at like 35 to 1 or something like that. Yes, he did. And I told Corey before the race, I said, look, you were taking a shot here. I said, but just give me my honest ride like you give all my horses. And we'll just, if we need to put him in for 10000 after this, we will. And he did, and he rode a hell of a race on him, and he went out there, come top the stretch, and come rolling, and just flew by him. Yeah. And uh, he went. He, he only went by like two and a half lengths, but he, he went easy. You know, he just it was like they were standing still when he went by him. And sure enough, he paid like seventy, seventy-two, seventy-three dollars. Mm-hmm. I bet him to win that day. So I, I was trying to parlay that Keeneland win into that because I hated him at Keeneland, but I, I took a shot with him there. But and again, if you go back, I'm pretty sure that was the last race that Churchill run on the turf until they had to cancel the rest of the meet until they come back for that Arlington Million pseudo debacle. So uh, yeah. look, that, look that up. But that, that's that's some awesome stuff about the horse. Uh, take it away, CC. Well, we can't go any further without talking about your father. It's oh, Rick no, Howes. I, I knew you wanted to hit it, hit that. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, Rick Howes is very important to the horseman on the backstretch at Churchill Downs. I he was the head of the national HPPA and I know he was the head of the uh, Kentucky HPPA and he, he had to, he was involved in a lot of the disputes. You know, you get into simulcasting and all that, all that stuff. I really don't care to talk about because it's over my head, but I, I think, and I don't have anything on this, but I think he was instrumental in getting that dorm built on the backside of Churchill Downs. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, I believe so. He, th- he handles a lot of stuff like that, especially with the uh, health and welfare and, He's on that board, and the HPPA plays a big part in all that stuff. Yeah, that dorm is really nice. Uh, if, if you if you come into the backside there, at Churchill, it's it's a two story brick building, and it's like where, where a lot of the uh, the this help lives. And it's uh it, you know it's a it's it's a really it's a nice improvement back. It's been there for several years now, but uh, uh, your dad was a uh, let's just be honest, he was a really tall imposing man when i was around him i always towed the line because i you know i didn't want to trifle with him i didn't want to get my block knocked off but the, my <laughs> question to you jeff is that, i mean if rick was at his peak physical condition a younger rick house and and a current jeff house uh, could you think you could whoop your dad <laughs> no, no problem no no problem really <laughs> no problem i well i think it'd be it'd go toe toe to toe I don't know. I, I couldn't mess with him. I, I, the only thing I could do is outrun him. I think Jeff's oh, pretty that, big you know, Yeah, I'm six. I'm six four, two thirty myself. But he, um, that you know, when I was growing up, I was always, you know, he's, I was, first off, he was my dad, but I was always real scared of him. He had a when he got mad. I mean, he, he never. I mean, he was never, never, not not like psycho or nothing like that. But you knew, <laughs> like he put you in your place real quick. And I remember when. A couple of times when when his help, when guys who worked for him would get out of line or wouldn't listen to him or didn't do exactly what he told them to do or something like that, and he would he would set them straight, and I was kind of like whoa. But after you know growing up and being in the Marines and I got 
Dad thought he could choose somebody else out, but you go to boot camp and be in the Marines, and they take the, it's a totally different level. Right. <laughs> those, guys, those guys are professionals. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, prior to starting out on your own, I think you were with Kim McPeak Barn. Uh, that's correct, right? Yes. Okay. What, how long were you with him and, uh, what, uh, what did you learn, uh, under his tutelage? Well, when you're in a big program like that, the opportunities are endless because you have so many horses switching in and out. Yeah. And when I went into that, I was with Kenny for four years to answer that question, but when I went into it, you know, I knew of Kenny. I didn't, I had worked for him briefly a couple of times before and I always, you know, he's a big trainer and he's had a lot of good horses over the years. So I was, I really looked forward to the opportunity and it was, it was a great, great opportunity to get in there and start from the ground and work my way up. What I was looking for is really more of a mentorship when I started. That's not, that's not, I'm not going to say I didn't get that, but what I really got was an extreme amount of hands-on experience with, so when you have a, when you have, when you've got a hundred horses, I had 36 underneath my care there at Churchill. I was his main assistant there. And you have horses coming in and out. There's so many more problems that you're going to run into. So the education that you're actually going to get, it's like going to college, hands-on college. It's like a technical school. It's, it's And you're getting the best. We had good horses. We had a lot of problems and learned how to fix the problems. So that's that's the things that really set me up to step out on my own. Well, who was the best horse you worked with? with when I was piece? with Kenny? Yes. You know, my, one of my favorite horses who's still running today is Rated R Superstar. I had him right. as a two, three, four, and uh, I believe five-year-old. And I'm fortunate enough to have his little sister in my barn now. But he, for his career, he's made almost $2 million. I would have to say he's probably been one of the best. But, I mean, I had Daddy's Little Darling. I had, um, oh, Billy, uh, I can't think of her name right now. Daddy's little darling had a uh, foal at the sale at Keeneland, I believe yesterday or the day before, by Galileo, of all of all stains. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, I think probably sold for a half million, something like that. Important horse. Yeah, she's a, she's by Scat Daddy herself, and she uh, man, she she was a big one. I mean, she sold for like three and a half million dollars. I had her at Payson Park and prepped her for the Ashland before she ran the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, there was, I mean, when I would walk out of the office there, the last, when I, right before I left Kenny, the first four stalls were all graded stakes winners. Alan, do you have any more questions for Jeff before we wrap it up? Well, I just want a couple quick things. He, he raised about some of the younger horses in his barn. So one, I want to kind of know who he actually is excited about a little bit. And two, when you win $250,000 races in one day at Kentucky Downs, do you go to Bowling Green to party? Or do you go to Nashville? Which one is it? Huh. Well, neither. Oh. What I did, what I did, I had four horses in that day, and I hauled them all down. And when we got done, I hauled them all back and got ready for the next day. My, I'm a little, little different. I'm not saying no trainers do this today, but a lot still do. But I haul my own horses. I travel with them. You know, it's just, uh, I really, I need to. I've grown enough now to where I need to hire a couple more people that can do stuff like that. But right now, it's. There's no, there's no partying involved. It's all strictly business. It's just like now I'm hauling, uh, take it south back and we're going back to high point. It's eight, let's see, it's nine thirteen at night, mobile time. We won't get back there till 1130. And by the time we get back and I get her in and put her down, it's going to be 1230, one o'clock. And I've got seven sets of breezers in the morning to be there at high point. So right now there's, there's no party and it's kind of like you don't even take the time to really get to enjoy it but you just you know keeping your head down and putting one foot in front of the other and working on building which leads me to the wonder is like that means you've got a lot of good work going in with some of these younger horses i know you said you've got the half to uh to radar superstar anybody you really like that's uh back there in the barn yeah we've got a lot to be honest uh bell rosso she's a half sister yeah she's the bomb. yeah really nice horse yeah i started her on the grass uh, both times she's got a second and a third. Uh, I'm going to put her back on the dirt. She's one of the faster two-year-olds that I've got to, on the dirt. We started her on the 
grass at Ellis Park because you kind of knock out a couple different variables there. Uh, it's two turns going a mile on the grass, and Ellis Park's grass is not your typical turf, but it's still turfy. So you kind of knock that out, and she finished second. She ran a good second to Chop Chop, who come down mm-hmm. and win the Phillies Juvenile at Kentucky Downs. And so we put her in at Kentucky Downs down there, um, I believe it was on the third. And she ran a really good race, finishing third, but now I'm going to run her back at Churchill on the dirt and see how she does. I think I, I expect a lot out of her. Yeah, and I, another, I, like that. I like that one a lot. Yeah, the, another one is Kicks and Giggles. He's actually in Friday. I like him uh, pretty good. I think he's eventually going to be a two-turn horse, and I've got him in a one-mile, which is which Churchill, I, I hate that race. But, you know, this is getting them experience, and it's a long sprint. But I, I believe he's going to be a two-turn horse, and I expect a lot out of him. And I've got a bunch. I've got a couple other ones that's just now. They're up to breezing three eighths, and I, we're going to try and start them in a November meet before we go to Florida. And you got you work your tail off, Jeff. Work your tail. I know the success is nice, but uh, you're earning it, aren't you? You're earning it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that that's part of it. This is how I always envisioned being a horse trainer. So I'm, I'm doing what I dreamed I wanted to do, and I'm doing it how I wanted to do it. That's awesome. All right, CC, let's wrap this up with Jeff. He need, he's got work to do tonight. Yeah, absolutely. More than all I got to do is go to bed. Me too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jeff, uh, we, we glad that you joined us this evening. If you see that uh, no good Billy Denzik telling me he owes me one horse and then we'll have our, we'll have our score settled. Uh, he cost me $50,000 about 15 years ago and I haven't gotten over it yet. I haven't forgotten him. And every time I see him at the racetrack, I get, uh, I get that queasy feeling. But, uh, if, you, if you see him, tell him I'm looking for him. So if you, uh, if you ever have a few beers in, you ought to pick a fight with him. <laughs> no, I don't pick a fight with anybody. I got to, I got to stay sober so I can keep, so I can run. I'm just but, joking. Uh, no, Billy, Billy's, he's been great to me and he's helped me out a lot. We're, we've become really good. Him and Brooke and I have become really good friends, and they're, they've been great to have as a, as a part of all this. But y'all no, give each other honor. shit, don't you? Y'all give each other shit, don't you? Oh hell yeah! All yeah. <laughs> I could well, he deserves it. He deserves it. But no, Jeff. Seriously, Jeff, we're, we're glad you joined us. Uh, we hope you have a safe trip home. And then uh, we always, I always like to see your name in the in the entry box. And uh, we'll be we'll be rooting your horses on, hopefully for a long time to come. Great guys, thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you, my man. Thanks, Jeff Hiles. All right, we survived all the technical issues. I've had a rough night with my laptop. It is just now we're about two and a half hours into working on this podcast, and this some buck finally starting to work. <laughs> language, language, unbelievable. Yeah, we we've, we've had a lot of language in this one, so we apologize to all the the mothers and the fathers out there. This is not this has not been a family friendly podcast. It's the way I talk on a daily basis, so whatever. You should you should hear the way me and my friend talk my friend Michelle right. talking the way home from, from work. <laughs> they call that factory mouth. You ever heard that term? I've worked in a factory, yeah. So I think I invented the term. Okay. I play it nice on here. So uh we we need to take this podcast on the road. Uh, you you got any you. thoughts about that? You know, we've had some offers. We've had some uh some really good guests that made that to offer to stuff that we should do that and if we can work out some things, maybe there might be a might be something in, with Keeneland coming up. Maybe that's an idea, or even when Turfway opens up, I think we ought to do that sometime. That's, I think we could pull that off. There's a lot of a lot of great people still to talk to and stuff. Maybe you talk to them and they've had about four or five beers and be even better, right? You think? Yeah. So you know, sailor mouth going then. We want uh, we want this thing to be as interactive as possible. So if you are listening and you. Would like us to uh, maybe record at your location. That would be uh, we'd be honored to do so. If you have a guest that you think would be a, a, a or excuse me, if you know somebody that would be a, a good guest for the show, topic, yeah, hit us up. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think what I've wanted, I've wanted to do forever, and it's something we just need to get get some of the, is talking old Churchill, nineties, eighties, nineties Churchill man before. You know, all the glitz and the glamour came out there now, but it wasn't like that back in the 80s and 90s. It was all, that was the era of Charlie Woods and Brent Bartram and, and Mary Dozer, right? And Tony D'Amico and those guys like that. I'd love to have something like that with a bunch of those guys on or something. So you, you know who list. I saw, who exactly. I saw in the winter circle, Louisiana Downs the other day. I nearly fell over. It's Tracy Abair wrote a winner really? at Louisiana Downs. That's, uh, he was, when, when he was around mid nineties. 
Well, there's some stories there. He he had his issues with uh, some suspensions, right? But he was this Pat Day ruled, ruled the roost back in the day. But Tracy Abrams was a badass skate rider, man. He, you could not number, beat him out of the yeah. gate. He was number two, three, four rider. It seems like he used to ride a lot for Bernie Flint. He did. He just he run a lot of races, and I mean, it, I mean, he's got to be in the sixties, right? I would think. It, yeah. He had a, he often, often suspended around here, but he was still talented as can be. But I'd love to have the guys of that, from that era on, right? And Shane right. Sellers, we can go on and on. Again, the, the, the Churchill's great. I mean, people want to badmouth Churchill. They're talking shit. They all play it. They all like to play it or whatever and stuff. I don't pay attention to all that Twitter nonsense or whatever. People like playing Churchill. Do they get frustrated? Yeah. Are you going to get frustrated? Are you going to get frustrated a lot of other places? Yeah, but you still bet it. So, but, but Churchill is, because we, I'm a little villain, it's, it's near and dear to me and stuff. So that era that I grew up in and stuff, I'd love to have some of those guys on. Like I said, if you know anybody, send them our way. We'd love to, we'd love to talk. So we'd love to talk. And, uh, we got a few ideas from restaurants. My with Keeneland come up, I'll try something. So Absolutely. anyway, with that said, let's wrap All it right. up. Yep. It's time to go to bed on behalf of our guest, Jeff Hiles. And, of course, Brandon Jaggers, wherever he may be, and Alan Schneider, of course. I'm C.C. Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home. Good night.